All right, uh, y'all make your way to your tables, grab some more coffee. Um, good morning. All right, my name is Pete Hatton. I'm one of the pastors here, but specifically pastor to the families is my official call and title. Um, one quick announcement. Um, when is that? November 3rd. Yes. Men's golf tournament, Friday, November 3rd at Tennyson Park Golf Course. And what time does that start? That starts at 7 a.m. with breakfast. Uh, the cost will be $65. includes breakfast, golf, and cart. So men, join us for golf. Uh, it's not good for my sanctification to play golf, so I don't know if I'll see you all there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right um let me go ahead and pray and we'll go ahead and get started in this very, very difficult fun passage okay father we do um thank you for this day and again uh we are reminded as jeremiah tells us that your mercies are new every morning because your faithfulness is so great towards us so this morning, open our eyes um, to see the reality of what this text is teaching us. And by your spirit, would you assure us um, of the reality that in Christ we do have eternal life. And so I pray that you'd be pleased to do this for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, last week's uh, text was... Focusing on the importance of abiding in God's word, and this week we are going to see why we need to abide in God's word. And the reason why is because we live in dangerous and deceptive days. So if you have your Bibles or the handout in front of you, let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If, you. if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord. 
All right. Now, there's an old Presbyterian minister by the name of Donald Barnhouse who ministered at the historic 10th Presbyterian Church in downtown Philadelphia. He was asked this question in an interview one time, and his answer is, it's not just shocking, I would say, but it's also very significant. The question he was asked is, what would things look like if Satan took over a city? Now, how would you answer that question? Does your mind immediately go to a few cities that you may know where you're like, oh, he's definitely taken over these cities? And what would his strategies be? Uh, You probably think about all the ways that he would cause a breakdown in the family, that he would cause divorce, that there'd be a lot of sexual immorality, there'd be a lot of corruption, there'd be a lot of crime, there'd just be total chaos. But here's what Barnhouse's answer was. He said all the bars would be closed, pornography would be banned, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ was not preached. What an insightful answer. See, too many of us think that Satan's goal is to get us to behave badly, to break God's commandments and sin. And yeah, that's part of it. But the enemy's main goal, it's not to get you to disobey. It's to deceive us about the reality of who God and who Jesus is. It's to get us to believe lies about God, because believing these lies is what causes us to turn away from God. And he's really good at it, isn't he? He's had a lot of practice. And he's got so many different strategies in his arsenal to bombard us with. But in our text, John wants us to see one specific strategy. See, so far in chapter 2, what's John been doing? He's been encouraging us to obey God's commandments. He's been encouraging us to love one another. He's exhorting us to not love the world nor the things in it. And how do we do that? By abiding in God's Word. Now, he's moving from exhorting to warning. He's warning us to realize that we live in dangerous and deceptive days. Look at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. It is. (laughs) And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And two things real quick that we got to deal with here. First, did John think that the end of all things was literally happening in his day at this moment? Or is he referring to an unspecified time? Does he literally believe that the final day and the hour are actually upon him? Or is that phrase the last hour describing a general character of the final stage of God's redemptive history? 
Now, I don't have time to draw this out, but in the New Testament, the last days, it refers to the time period when Jesus ascended into heaven, where he is sitting at the right hand of God, to the time that he returns. So this time period in between this is called the last days. And how does John prove that? He says the presence of many antichrists proves it. <laughs> Their presence signals that we live in these dangerous and deceptive last days. So why is he warning us about these dangerous and deceptive last days? Look at verse 26. So that they won't be seduced and enticed away from the truth. By something that looks like the truth, but it really isn't. It's a deception. So he's alerting them of the characteristics of the last day so that they won't be deceived by the antichrists, which leads to the second thing we need to touch on real quick. Who are these antichrists? <laughs> Look at verse 19. They're false teachers. They're false teachers who have arisen within the church and then left the church. They're those who once professed belief in Christ, but now have moved away from the truth about Christ. Look at verse 22. They're liars who misrepresent Jesus. They believe and teach things about Jesus that aren't true. Specifically, they believe that Jesus is not the Messiah. They deny, in other words, his deity. They deny the need for him to suffer and die an atoning death for sin. They deny that Jesus is the one that is promised in the Old Testament. They deny that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament expectations. They deny that he is the anointed one, the Christ the Messiah. And notice what John says in verse 18. You have heard that Antichrist is coming, <laughs> but I'm here to tell you many of them are already here. The fact that many Antichrists are already here proves it is the last hour. Well, why is it the last hour, though? Uh, because all the work of Jesus' salvation is done. He's finished all of the work necessary to save God's people. God has victoriously raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus has ascended to sit at the right hand of God on the throne presently reigning and ruling over all things. And what's the first act that he does? He gives the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell believers, which signals what? We live in a new age now. Now we wait for his return. Now we wait for when he returns, we will experience the full reality of all that Jesus has done for us. And while we are waiting for his return, 
Many antichrists are here, and it should not surprise us. Because this is the last hour for him to attack the church. He knows his time is short, but don't miss this. Where do these antichrists come from? From within the church. The nature of the evil conflict facing the church in the last days, it's not from forces outside the church that seek to harm the church, but from deceptive and dangerous teaching that arises within the church. The antichrists that arise from within the church are simply people who deny that Jesus is who he said he was. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe he's the Savior of the world. They don't believe he's the Son of God. It's that simple. John tells us plainly who they are. So can we stop all of the hokey predictions about the future and the Antichrist? Okay? They're false teachers. That's who they are. And here's the thing. It's that simple. But the danger and the warning are real because their teaching is very deceptive and for some of us, very hard to detect. You see, the term antichrist, it literally means against Christ. Uh, but it also means in the place of Christ. So it's something that seeks to put itself in the place of Christ. It's something that seeks to take away the glory of Christ, to rob him of his glory and put something else in his place. So these antichrists, they do not have horns. <laughs> they do not have numbers on their foreheads. They are not Satanists who promote a religion that is anti-Jesus. In fact, they would probably say, we like Jesus. He was a good man. He lived a good moral life. And he was a great teacher who talks about how we can get to God. They would not say, however, he's the Savior. They would not say he is the Son of God, equal with the Father. See, these antichrists, they're not necessarily directly opposed to Jesus, but they seek to redefine who he is and what he came to do. They seek to lower the level of his importance in the life of Christians. In other words, they want to take the focus off of Jesus and put it on something else. And can you guess what that something else is? You. You. They want you to trust and depend 
more and more on yourself and trust and depend less and less upon Jesus. In other words, they want to belittle and rob Jesus of his glory and his saving work. How? By exalting us and what we can do. See, Paul describes it this way in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. He says, but understand this, that in the last days, which are the days we live in, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. (laughs) Why are things going to be difficult in the world? Well, he tells us, for people will be lovers of self. They will be lovers of money. They will be proud. They will be arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Puffed up, in other words, with pride. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. How do people become lovers of themselves more than lovers of God? (laughs) Probably because they're being taught more about themselves than they are about God. See, how do they become proud? How do they think more highly of themselves than they really are and what God intended? How do they become arrogant, heartless, unappeasable, can never be satisfied? Why? Because I'm the center of the universe. It's all about me. How do they become swollen with conceit? (laughs) Yes, that is our sinful nature. That is what the flesh desires. It desires to exalt itself above all things and all people. But when our flesh is taught how great we are, How we can do great things for God? How we don't need a Savior? How we can do it on our own, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps? What's happening? (laughs) That kind of teaching is pouring gasoline on our flesh and then tossing a match into it. It's feeding our flesh, in other words. It's fanning the flames of what our flesh desires. See, things are going to be, things are, not going to be, things are so bad in these days because the Antichrist teaching in the church is exalting man more than it is exalting Jesus. People are being led to trust in themselves, not trust in Jesus. They're being led to depend on themselves, to believe in themselves, not to depend and believe in Jesus. 
See, any message that leads you to trust and depend more in yourself and to trust and depend less on Jesus is an antichrist message. It is promoting an antichrist agenda. <sighs> this is why the church needs to be more about proclaiming good news. Today, the church is more about proclaiming good advice. <sighs> Man. See, that's just it, isn't it? It's good advice. But that's it. Good advice has no power to change you. Good advice has no power to cause your flesh's desire to change. Why? It has no power because good advice leads you to yourself. See, the subtle danger and deception is when all I hear about is what I need to do for God how to be a better husband, how to be a better father, how to be a better brother, how to be a better friend, how to be a better Christian. Then what happens when that's all you hear? You walk away thinking, I can. If I just follow this advice. If I just do what I'm instructed to do, I can improve. I can change on my own. And then before you know it, what's happening? You're thinking more and more about yourself. And you're thinking less and less about Jesus. You're thinking more and more about all that you need to do for Jesus. And you're thinking less and less about all that Jesus has already done for you. Man, when we are bombarded with good advice and think we can do it, we are deceived from the reality of what Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the whole Bible is about Jesus. All of the scriptures, every story from Genesis to Revelation is to show you the reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus would do and did do. All of the scriptures are about the worth and the work of Christ. And then think of this. In Philippians 2, we find out that God the Father, what is his passion? What is his mission? It's to exalt his Son above everything. So that all honor, all glory, all exaltation and worship would be directed to the Son. 
So believing and resting in the good news of who Jesus is and the work that he's done to save us, this is what the Christian life is all about. See, the gospel, it's not the ABCs of the Christian life. It's not that, oh, Jesus gets me in, and then now i got to work really, really hard to do it on my own. No. Jesus, the gospel, is the A through Z of the Christian life. We don't move away from the gospel when we become Christians. We actually move deeper and deeper into it. We move deeper and deeper into the significance of who Jesus is, deeper and deeper into all that he has done for us because we can't exhaust that. So I want you to hear me, okay? And this might get me in trouble, which has already happened a few times. Um, We can agree and believe in certain truths in the Bible. We can be impacted by these truths. And we can dedicate our lives to these truths. We can promote the Bible's view on marriage. We can promote the Bible's view on abortion, on sexuality, on generosity, on immigration, on loving others, on the golden rule, on not judging others, on and on and on. But if the gospel's left out, if Jesus is left out, those truths lose their value and their meaning and may actually serve the message and the agenda of the Antichrist. This is why Barnhouse's answer is so significant. (laughs) Because if Satan got hold of a city, people would be so nice to each other. They'd be so polite. They would live such outstanding, good, moral lives. Church would be packed every Sunday. But Jesus would not be preached. So without Jesus, what's the purpose of the Bible? Without Jesus, what's the mission of the church? I want you to notice, I'm looking at verse 19. (laughs) The small churches that John's writing to here, they're getting smaller, (laughs) right? Why? Because the Antichrists are leaving which is actually a good thing. Notice John's not concerned about the size of the church. John's not concerned about winning over the leaders of the city. He's not concerned about pushing biblical values and principles on the culture in order to make it act more Christian. No, John's concerned. John's call is very simple because it's just one thing. Abide. Not advance on the enemy. Not try to defeat 
the enemy. Abide. Paul, in the book of Galatians, he gives a similar call. And this call that he gives in chapter 5, verse 1, is the theme of the whole book of Galatians, which started the Reformation. This book ignited the Reformation. What does Paul say? It is for freedom. What reason about what he's going to say next? It's for freedom. What, What is for freedom that Christ has set us free? It's already done. He has set you free so you would live free. That's the point. And now because he set us free and he wants us to live free, he says, stand, therefore. Stand firm, therefore. Do not allow yourself to be moved off of something. Stand firm, therefore, and do not allow yourself to be subjected again to a yoke of slavery. See, what is slavery in Galatians? It's living, trying to please your master. A son, however, lives knowing he's pleasing. To his father. Big difference. So Paul is telling us, stand. Don't advance. Don't run. Don't walk. Don't even crawl in your freedom. But stand on it. Stand on it. This is the same call of John's abide. See, abide, it means to remain. <laughs> to stay connected to. It means to stand upon. So what does John want us to abide in? What does he want us to remain in? What does he want us to stay connected to and stand upon? Look at verse 24. Abide in what you heard from the beginning. Abide, in other words, in the gospel. Abide in the gospel that proclaims the worth of Christ and the work of Christ for you. Abide in the gospel that sets you free from yourself. Abide in the gospel that sets you free from thinking you have to earn God's favor by what you do. Abide in the gospel that proclaims when you trust in Jesus, you have his favor and can't lose it. You have his pardon. You have his forgiveness. You have his love. Because all of your sins have been paid for when he hung on the cross. The call of John, it's simple. (laughs) Abide, because Jesus has already won. He's already defeated sin. He's already defeated death. He's already defeated the devil. He rose victorious. 
He's now seated on the throne at God's right hand, sitting on it. Why? Because all the work's done. There's nothing left for me to do to save God's people. I've done it all. It is finished. So we are to abide. We are to remain. We are to stay connected to and stand upon the gospel of Jesus and his accomplished salvation. And look at verse 24. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, the good news of Jesus and his salvation, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. But (laughs) you need to hear what I'm saying. Or you need to hear what I'm about to say, I should say. The call to abide, it may be simple and clear, but you and I cannot do it. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot abide in Jesus and his gospel in our own power. This is where so much deception comes into play. Because I hope you know yourself well enough to know how easy it is for you to look look at yourself rather than looking at Christ. I hope you know yourself well enough to know it is so much easier for you to trust in yourself than it is to trust in Christ. It is so much easier for you to put the focus on yourself rather than on Christ. It is so easy to be deceived and fall prey to the Antichrist message and agenda of seeking to exalt self over Christ. John the Baptist was the most sane man in all the Bible next to the Apostle Paul and Jesus. What did he say? His famous statement. I must decrease. He must increase. You know what spiritual insanity is? Trying to make yourself big. Because what's going on? That means I'm making Jesus small. I hope you know yourself well enough to say, that's so easy for me to do. (sighs) Because that's the key, isn't it? Knowing that your default mode is trust in self, not trust in Jesus. Knowing this about you is the key to not being deceived. (laughs) See, if I were to end and leave you with the exhortation, all you need to do is stop being deceived and abide in Christ. I'd lead you to think you can. I would be redirecting you to look to yourself. 
and try to abide in Christ in your own power, thinking that you can do it on your own. And if I did, I'd be promoting an antichrist message. So the first step of abiding in Christ in this gospel is admitting that you can't and you don't. That's why Jesus came to be the Messiah. The Son of God who would do for us what we can't do for ourselves. This is why he had to live perfectly. Only he abided perfectly. This is why God raised him from the dead victoriously. This is why now he's seated on the throne, exalted above all things, reigning and ruling over all things. This is why John tells us in verse 24, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our confidence to know we have the gift of eternal life. Now, look, at this is fascinating because before John tells us to abide in verse 24, he gives us the hope and the reason for why we will in verse 20. Why will we abide? Because we've been anointed by the Holy One. Which simply means, again, a lot of controversy over this. It simply means we've been given the Holy Spirit. We don't have confidence that we will abide because of our hold on Jesus, in other words. But because of his hold on us which we know to be true through the Spirit, revealing that to us through the gospel. This is why we need to learn how to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. This is why every Sunday, every Lord's Day, when we gather together as God's people, we need to hear the message about Jesus and his salvation. Why? Because the danger of us abiding or not abiding, it's not due to the evil antichrist messages that are out there. It's due to the evil in here, in me, in my flesh that I still carry around that seeks to exalt itself above all things. And it will until the day you die. Which means your flesh is always at war against what the Spirit desires. Always. Now, we so quickly leave the gospel, don't we? Because of this. We so easily think it's up to me to live the Christian life. I was actually taught that you can be as close to God as you want to be. It's up to you. And then felt so guilty because I knew how distant I was from him. There's a story about Martin Luther <laughs> where some people in this congregation, they came up to him and said one, one Sunday, Dr. Luther, why is it that week after week after week you keep preaching the gospel to us? <laughs> Which, what are they implying? We don't need it. Hmm. 
We can do it on our own. Just tell me what to do. Stop preaching the gospel of grace. Just tell me what to do. I hope that resonates because that's a lot of the messages we hear today. And that's what you desire. Those are the questions I always get. (laughs) Why is grace not enough? Because you think you can. And you've been deceived. Sorry, all right, back to Luther's car. So why why do you keep preaching the gospel to us week in and week out? And here's what Luther said. Because week after week, you forget it. Because week after week, you walk in here looking like a people who do not believe the gospel. And until you walk in here looking like people who are really liberated by the truth of the gospel, I'm going to continue to preach it. See, here's the irony of it all. The more we are convinced of our weakness to abide in Jesus and his gospel, the more we are convinced of our inability to abide on our own, the more we realize the issue is not the strength of our hold on him, but the strength of his hold on us. Only then will we grow in our ability to abide. See, here it is. Because Jesus let go of his son on the cross, he'll never let go of you. And according to verse 25, that hold will last for all of eternity. Amen. Let me pray. Father, um, we are so easily deceived. Uh, We so easily seek to exalt ourselves, focus on ourselves, trust in ourselves. And we need your spirit to direct our thoughts, direct our trust, direct our dependence away from ourselves and on to Jesus. Which means we need your help to abide in Jesus. We need your help to enable us to rest in the gospel that Jesus has done it all, which means there's nothing left for us to do. It is finished. So now help us to rest and believe in an accomplished salvation that we cannot lose because you put your spirit in us, and he dwells with us forever. Please do this, because we do need you to do it, because we can't even desire you without you. We can't even think about you without you. We can't want you without you. So do this for our good, and do this for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.